Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, part of the 90 Min family with me, Harry Simiu. And we've got a big one coming up today. The big match preview is back and we're looking ahead to a fixture that is of huge significance. Yeah, we beat Liverpool last week and it was bloody amazing. It was great. The performance was fantastic and everybody's buzzing again. We're all hoping Arsenal can go on and mount a serious title challenge after a little bit of doubt creeping in, of course, over uh, the sort of November, December and then going into January period. Um, Really, really looking forward to this one. Looking forward to previewing this game. You are listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast live on YouTube at the moment and available wherever you get your pods, of course. Let's get into it. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Uh, let me say a few hellos to some of you joining us in the chat before we dive into uh, the contents of today's episode. We've got uh, Afsar in the chat. Hope you're good. Hope you're well, mate. Um, Hacker's asking about a left winger. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. I'll tell you what, I'll favourite that question. Um, Yontora Fjeldstadt says, uh, let's hope Arsenal get a comfortable win over the Hammers. Yes, please. That'll be great. We've got Brian joining us from New York City. We've got Steve joining us. Uh, Wandering Minstrel is here as well. Uh, Owen Young says, (laughs) new intro gives me 80s adult entertainment vibes. (laughs) Do you know what? You're not the first person that said that to me, which is making me seriously rethink uh, whether that tune is appropriate. I I like it. I like it personally. So until someone somewhere along the line tells me that it's totally unacceptable, then it's going to (laughs) stay. I mean, it kind of tells us uh, what... what no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it, Owen. I'm not going to say it. I hope you're well, mate. Uh, big hello to uh, Oguchuku as well. Uh, Louis is with us too. Um, Steve agrees with the whole uh, 80s uh, adult entertainment vibe. Hey, look, it is what it is. Uh, but anyway, let's get into the football. Um, let's uh, discuss the game coming up at the weekend. Arsenal, of course, taking on West Ham United at the London Stadium. And the truth is that West Ham have become under David Moyes, a bit of a bogey side for Mikel Arteta. Arteta's always spoken of his respect for David Moyes. He worked under him for a long, long time. He knows him inside out. Obviously, things change, and I'm sure David Moyes has adapted, maybe not that much, but to some point, to some degree. Otherwise, he wouldn't still be managing at the level that he is. I think one of the things that often gets overlooked when we talk about managers who've had such long and successful careers is that there does need to be adaptation um, throughout, uh, throughout that kind of long tenure that you have, whether it be at one club or other clubs, because you need to stay relevant essentially. And with the game moving on the way it does and the way it has so very, very quickly, um, you know, you, you can't afford to stand still. So people that say David Moyes now is the same David Moyes of 15 years ago. It's simply not true. There has been some changes. There has been some adaptations, maybe hasn't changed these kind of core principles, And in a weird way, that's what makes him a good manager. The fact that it's about defence first, it's about being solid first, it's about being competitive first. And then now that he's at a point at West Ham where he's got 
players that do have that extra bit of quality. He can be a little bit braver. And I guess the frustration to flip it the other way from some West Ham fans is that he doesn't always do that. Um, despite having quite a bit of talent within that group. And we'll get on to West Ham's team. We'll, we'll talk about what we can expect from David Moyes' side a little bit later on in the programme. I mentioned they've become a bit of a bogey side for us. If I think back to last season, we beat them on Boxing Day, I think it was. It was an 8pm kickoff, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was because I remember being at two games that day. I think I went to Watford in the morning. Watford against Millwall in the morning. 11 o'clock, and then I went to Arsenal against West Ham in the evening. And I remember that game being quite a stressful one. I remember us kind of just about getting over the line there. It was a 3-1 scoreline in the end, but it wasn't a 3-1 kind of game in the sense of it was, you know, there was a lot of jeopardy up until that point. If I go into the actual details of that game, um, we were losing it. At half time, we were 1 0 down to West Ham. And then Bukayo Saka scored on 53. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli scored on 58. And then Eddie and Ketia put our minds to rest on 69. Maybe it feels in my head like it was a much closer game and a much more competitive game because of how desperate we were to win it. We were right in the thick of the title race at that point. And every game has that added level of significance, doesn't it? And the stress that comes with that. Maybe sometimes skews the way you remember things. I don't know. But anyway, um, that was a difficult game. That was a really, really difficult game. Then you take it forward to when we played them in April in the Premier League at the London Stadium. And I think we just come into that game off the back of having dropped two points really at Anfield. I remember at the time saying, well, have we dropped two points or have we gained a point? Because going to Anfield for us in recent years has been a problem. And all of a sudden we rock up there. We go 2-0 up. Um, and we end up getting pegged back to 2-2, probably a little bit lucky, actually, that we didn't lose the game at the end. Um, I know we had a chance as well from a counter-attack where if the pass was right, we could have maybe gone on and won it. But when you're 2-0 up, it, it will feel like two points dropped if you don't leave with with maximum points. So I can understand why, why people were saying that. But then we went to West Ham and it was like, well, are Arsenal going to have a bit of a hangover now? Are Arsenal going to be able to pick up kind of the form that they'd shown up until that that point? West Ham, difficult place to go. Under David Moyes, you know what you're going to get, you know, Sunday, early kickoff, et cetera, et cetera. And we go there and we race into a two-goal lead after 10 minutes. But then again, we crumble and we end up leaving there with a 2-2 draw. And that was kind of the beginning of the doubt creeping in, I guess. Um, and, and that's why, you know, I, I always remember that game and, and I sort of remember it really, really clearly. I remember Thomas Partey got caught in possession, which led to the penalty that ended up giving West Ham a lifeline when they, they were in truth dead and buried. They were second best. They really, really were. And then you think about the game that we had at the Emirates uh, just before New Year's um, this season, where, again, we had all of the ball. I think we had 70 percent of the possession. I think we had 30 attempts at goal. But we ended up somehow losing the game. And it was just one of those days where you looked at them and you thought, OK, they're extremely fortunate with the way the game's gone in that they've rode their luck a little bit. They've had a handful of chances and they've been able to take them efficiency level kind of 100 percent. And Arsenal just weren't really at their best when it came to trying to take chances, trying to. Uh, make things happen and it all felt a little bit frantic and a little bit rushed at certain points because of our desperation 
and the realization almost that you can't afford to drop points in this title race too often because of the level of the opposition that we're up against. And we came away from that game and, and I was very much of the opinion that this was a one-off. And then, of course, we went to Fulham and we put in a stinker of a performance and we lost. So we ended up losing back-to-back Premier League games, which, again, I would argue you probably can't do if um, if you want to keep the pace w- with the likes of City and Liverpool over the course of the season. Thankfully, we've come through that period and we're right back in the mix. We are right back in the mix now. But everything that we did against Liverpool, the result, the performance, the confidence boost, the, the energy that's come from that, the the riding on a, a on a wave and all the rest of it, all of that disappears if Arsenal go to West Ham at this at the weekend at, on Sunday and don't win. We have to, we absolutely have to go to the London Stadium on Sunday, and we have to win. And you could argue that following the Liverpool victory up with a win at a place like West Ham is a bigger statement than the win against Liverpool itself. Because all of a sudden, you're not just looking at one game, one performance. You're looking at that ability to build on something. And that's really, really important. We've built a little bit of momentum of late. Win against Crystal Palace, you know, and then and then obviously the win at Nottingham Forest. And then we've beaten Liverpool. Build on it now. Because Arsenal, if you want to get right back into this, you need to win five, six, seven games on the trot. And then we can look at where we are. We've got a decent run of fixtures after this one before we then meet Manchester City on the 31st of March, I believe it is. So it's imperative. It's absolutely imperative that Arsenal go to the London Stadium at the weekend and get all three points. Don't forget, if you're watching us live, um, leave us uh, a comment in the live chat. Uh, If you're watching this live or on playback, please do leave a like on the video. Subscribe as well uh, to the channel if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help. Um, And uh, if you're listening on the audio platform as well, leave us a review. You know the drill by now. All of that stuff. I hate talking about it, but it really does make the world a difference. So please, uh, please do uh, do that to support us if you can. Okay, we're going to take a really, really short pause. And when we come back, we are going to look ahead to this one specifically at what West Ham are going to bring to the table. What can we expect from David Moyes' side this weekend? This is their team that played Manchester United last weekend. Obviously, they got beaten quite handsomely, quite comfortably. If you look at that team, um, I'll read it out to those of you that are listening. It was Ariola in goal, back four of Soufal, Zuma, Aguerd and Emerson. In midfield, they went with Edson Alvarez and Thomas Suchek in front of the back four. And on this occasion, they went with Johnson in one of the wide positions, Kudus in the other, and then Ward-Prowse behind Bowen. Now, I don't know for sure. And of course, at the time of recording, there has been no press conference, no real clean update uh, on this yet. But there is a chance that Lucas Paqueta is back and available for West Ham United. And if he is, there's no doubt in my mind that he comes straight back into that team. He probably comes in and replaces Johnson and then Kudu switches over to the right. That's what I would guess is going to be the case should he be fit and available. The other option that David Moyes has as well, and I'm sure he's got more options, but the other one that kind of jumps out to me is Calvin Phillips. Does he look at that three in behind Jared Bowen and think actually against an Arsenal side 
that are going to want to dominate possession, that are going to be um, trying to find spaces in between lines constantly. Am I better off maybe putting Calvin Phillips in there along with Alvarez and Suchek? Now, normally I would say to you, uh, that's a bit negative. If we were talking about any other manager. But yeah, it's uh, it's David Moyes. So I wouldn't be surprised um, if he does that. Uh, Angela says, isn't Paqueta injured? A West Ham fan on an earlier pod said he's injured. Um, I read yesterday that he, he might be available. Um, if he's injured, great, happy days. And you're probably going to see, uh, maybe you will see Calvin Phillips come into the side. Um, and I, I just don't think Johnson's going to play, basically. And, and I'm wondering who comes in, maybe, potentially, to replace him. I think that's the, the interesting bit here. Um, if Paqueta is injured, that's great for us because he's a fantastic player. He's a wonderful, wonderful player. And um, he seems to have been given this extra bit of license in the West Ham side this season. Um, he's been pushed on a little bit further. He kind of plays sometimes um, to the left of that kind of three in behind the striker, which means that he's got that he's got that license to drift around. Because if you're playing as a left winger, but you've got two defensive midfielders inside of you and a fullback that is quite defensively aware, then what happens is that there isn't that much need really for you to, to be always thinking about the spaces you're leaving in behind you because it's quite easy for one of Suchek or Alvarez to come across and clean up. It's, you know, if you flip it to an Arsenal example at the weekend when we had Jorginho and Rice playing in that midfield, it allowed Gabriel Martinelli, didn't it, to stay higher up the pitch for longer periods of time without having to worry about coming back. So it can um, it can make a difference. But David Moyes is so set on certain systems and so set on making sure that he has this solid defensive core and foundation that the only way he would probably allow um, somebody like Paqueta to play in the side alongside a Kudus and a Ward-Prowse and all the rest of it is if they're playing slightly away from the centre of the pitch, which is what he's done with Paqueta. And that means that you can use all of his qualities. You can play the game through him as much as you like. But defensively, when out of possession, when the turnovers happen, he's not going to get caught out because the structure is there. The structure um, around him is almost designed to cover up for the fact that he's not that type of player. He does work extremely hard. That's not to take anything away from him. But I think when you put Lucas Paqueta in your 11, you put him in there because of the quality he brings you on the ball, not necessarily what he brings you off it. Where there are, whereas there are other players like Alvarez, Suchek, who give you something on the ball, but certainly in the side primarily because they bring you defensive solidarity and, and they're going to eat up the spaces and the ground around them uh, and make sure that their opposition don't get too much joy. So will Phillips come in? Will Paqueta come in? That remains to be seen. What we're going to get from David Moyes' side is a low block. They're going to look to limit the spaces in behind. Uh, there's no doubt about that in my mind. Um, a lot of teams have done that to us this season. They've looked at Saka and Martinelli and thought, well, if we don't leave too much space in behind our back line, where are they going to go? You know, where, where are they going to pick up the ball? How are they going to get to the byline, which is something they both did so effectively last season? And then you add to that, that not only is he going to sit deep with his back four, he's going to have that protective two in front. And we're going to be up against a really, really solid and stubborn unit. 
they're obviously going to look to hit us on the counter-attack. I'm not for a minute suggesting that West Ham won't try and hurt us in any way, shape or form. I've talked quite a bit about how I think we're better equipped to deal with counter-attacking threat nowadays than we were maybe two years ago. And I think that's going to really be put to the test here because they will go direct. They will look for Kudus and they will look for Bowen um, on the counter-attack who've both got plenty of pace and have both been in excellent form this season. Patience is going to be required, no doubt about that. We're going to have to be um, at our best. We're going to have to play with a zip and tempo. We're going to have to try and force the issue, um, generally speaking. But there will be moments where we're just going to have to be patient. We're going to have to probe and we're going to have to try and move people out of position in order to create the spaces. And listen, when the chances come, you got to take them because there won't be that many, I don't imagine, against a side that are going to be set up the way that West Ham are. I've put on the screen, physical battle. We're definitely going to get that. That midfield of Alvarez, Suchek is so combative. Add into that, Ward-Prowse isn't afraid to get stuck in either. And, you know, you know that you're in for a battle. You look at Zuma, Aguirre, big guys, strong, powerful defenders. I think this is going to be um, a, a real battle, this one. And I've also mentioned their set-piece threat. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that any side that has Zuma, Aguerd, Alvarez and Suchek in it in particular is going to cause you problems from corners, from free kicks, and we have to be switched on and alert to those situations. So that's what I'm expecting from David Moyes' West Ham United this Sunday at London Stadium. Time now for our statistical preview. Um, let's go over to the Premier League's website where you can see uh, a breakdown of the statistics around this fixture head-to-head. -head, 55 games played between these two in Premier League history. West Ham have won just nine of them. There have been 11 draws and 35 Arsenal wins. So history tells us that this is a fixture that Arsenal tend to come out on top in. But we know that in recent times, as I've previously mentioned, they've caused us a few headaches and a few problems. If we look at the last five meetings, I mentioned the 2-0 defeat at Emirates Stadium back in December. Painful night for us, that one. Uh, go back to Sunday, the 16th of April, 2023. We dropped two valuable points in the title race, despite racing into a two-goal lead that day. If you go back to Boxing Day uh, of 2022, uh, there was a 3-1 victory for Arsenal. But I remember that game not being uh, the walk in the park that maybe the scoreline suggests. Go back to Sunday, May the 1st, 2022. We won 2-1 at the London Stadium. I remember being at that game in the away end, in the gods, in the corner uh, of the London Stadium. And if you go back to the 15th of December, 2021, we beat them 2-0 uh, at Emirates Stadium. So we have won three of the last five. There have been, uh, or there's been one draw in that. And of course, one West Ham victory. But those two positive results for West Ham have come in the last two games. So there is reason to be slightly concerned and there is reason to be hammering home that message of make sure you take them seriously. Oh, let's uh, let's go into the live comments and see what you guys are saying. Uh, Louis says, uh, a thought, would anyone and Harry continue with Jorginho? I'll come on to my lineup in a bit. I'll share that with you and then that will be uh, revealed. Um, Halor Mateus says, uh, I must admit that I haven't seen any good explanation why West Ham this year looks so much better and that without Declan Rice. Good job in the transfer market, perhaps. They have done a good job in the transfer market. I mean, we've seen 
lots and lots of teams over the years bring in a big fee for one player. Tottenham are a great example of this. Remember when they sold Gareth Bale? And they went and then blew the money on players that were just not fit for purpose, that were just never at the level required. And it set them back quite a way. Actually, I don't want to give them any praise. I'll say it quietly. But Spurs now, having sold Harry Kane, I think have done some good business to to ease that pain. And that's why they're having a pretty good season. Edson Alvarez was a really good signing. James Ward-Prowse was a really good signing. Jared Bowen's gone up to a new level. Mohamed Kudus has been a really, really good signing as well. Um I also think that Alvarez coming in has kind of unlocked Suchek again. There was a period where Suchek was A, really good defensively, but B, was getting forward and contributing a hell of a lot uh, when it comes to goals and stuff as well. And I think with Declan Rice kind of having the shackles taken off of him at the end of his West Ham career, that maybe limited Suchek a little bit as well. And in a weird way, not because Declan Rice isn't a fantastic footballer, but it just feels like Suchek has kind of been able to step up again and become the guy in West Ham's midfield as a result of Rice's departure. Um, Skywalker says, when they have the ball, should we draw to our half, pressure them and try and create transition attacking opportunities? I think in theory, that's what you'd want to do. That's what you'd want to do. You'd want to, when you play a team like this, who are going to sit back, you'd almost want to lure them out and and bring them into your half and then look to play in behind them and and through the lines and all the rest of it. I just don't think that West Ham are the kind of side that will ever fall into that trap. I just think they're too smart for that. I think David Moyes' approach is, in fact, the complete opposite to that. He will build his game plan around set pieces, around counter-attacking opportunities, and he will be, he won't say it publicly, but he'll be more than happy with a point. He'll be more than happy with a point, David Moyes, because that's the way his brain works. He will look at this and go, look, this team are in the title race. If we can avoid defeat against them, it's great. But you know what? I back my side as well to be able to, to produce something on the break, to, to, to produce a moment from a set piece, like I mentioned. I think for me, this is very much going to be a one side on the front foot versus low block type of game. I'd like to be able to draw them out. And I think in theory, that's what you want to do. But we know football doesn't work like that. And I'm almost certain that West Ham, if we did try and set those traps, probably wouldn't fall for them. So I think we kind of got to forget about that. And I think we've got to focus on the ways in which we can unlock the low block and the ways in which we can deal with that um, ourselves. Um, Afsar says, why do West Ham fans want David Moyes out? I don't understand that. It's a hard one with David Moyes because I feel like a lot of them have got to the point where they just don't, um, they, uh, um, they just don't, how can I put this? I, I, I don't want to be disrespectful. I don't want to be critical too much of David Moyes because I think that David Moyes has done a wonderful job overall and generally speaking. Let me go again. Right. So I think that some of the West Ham fans get frustrated with David Moyes because every time it looks like they're going to take that next step in terms of their playing style, you then end up with a couple of turgid performances. Like their performance against Bournemouth recently was really, really poor. And there was a lot of complaints after that. So I think when you're immersed in the West Ham journey and when you're watching them week in, week out, you will see a lot more of the kind of granular details and you will probably be 
less complementary of, of David Moyes' style and what you're seeing. I think when you zoom out, which is not always easy to do when you're a fan of a club, and I think we were guilty of doing this in January. I think in January, when we didn't have that many games, we spent a lot of time kind of looking at the granular details of this Arsenal side and almost picking out things that probably weren't right and things that we thought needed not just improvement on, but major improvement on. And actually, when you zoom out and you look at where Arsenal were in terms of their proximity to the top of the table and all the rest of it, the situation was never as bad as maybe our minds tricked us into thinking. And part of that was because it was January and there wasn't much going on and we were bored and all the rest of it. I don't know about you, but I'm always skint in January and don't really go out too much. So I end up just overthinking and stuff in my spare time. I think when you zoom out, David Moyes has done a wonderful job, but I, I've seen a few of those turgid performances and I can understand why there is a frustration when you see those coming up maybe too often when you consider some of the quality that they have within that group. Okay, if we take a look at the form guide, at West Ham United have won just one of their last five Premier League games and that was that game, of course, at Emirates Stadium. So, Going back to the point I was just making, yeah, they're doing a, a cracking job there, David Moyes and his stuff overall, but they've been on a bit of a difficult run of form. Uh, there was a the win at Arsenal, obviously. After that, there was a draw at home to Brighton, 0-0. Then there was a draw away at Sheffield United, 2-2. That would have been really frustrating, given Sheffield United are, are really struggling this season. Then there was a draw at home to Bournemouth, and then there was a convincing defeat away at Manchester United. So you can understand, looking at that, why there's been a bit of noise around David Moyes. Although overall, you look at West Ham, they're in the European places, they're in European competition still. That, that's great for West Ham, right? When you take the zoomed out approach. But when you look at the recent times, you can understand why there's been a bit of frustration. As for Arsenal, we've won three of our last five. Obviously, that defeat against West Ham um, was really, really disappointing and frustrating. The defeat against Fulham was worse for me in terms of the performance and the way we kind of came out of that game. But then we followed that up after our Dubai break with a 5-0 win over Crystal Palace, a 2-1 win at the City Ground and a 3-1 win over Liverpool. So we go into this game in much better form. If you look at the season so far, West Ham United are in seventh place, which is respectable for them, I would argue. Arsenal currently in third. Um, they've won 10 games this season. We've won 15. They've drawn six. We've drawn four. They've lost seven. We've lost four. Average goal score per match, they're on just above one and a half. We're on just over two. Average goals conceded per match, they're conceding just over one and a half. So for all the talk about David Moyes' side being stable and solid, they're conceding the same rate of goals as they are scoring. And that's why, no coincidence, if you look over their last five results, they've had three draws. Arsenal are conceding on average just under one per match. Um, clean sheets, Arsenal have eight, West Ham have five, and Arsenal are creating uh, significantly more chances per match. But as I say to you on every single big match preview podcast, I don't know how accurate that particular stat is. If we look at top player stats, so top performers across these two sides, Jared Bowen leads the way on goals. He's got 11 goals, Jared Bowen. Uh, second to him is Bukayo Saka with eight in the league. And Mohamed Kudus is in third with six. If you go to assists, Bukayo Saka leads the way only just. He's got seven. James Ward-Prowse is in second with six. And Vladimir Soufal, who seems to get forward to great effect, judging by this, has got five on the board. It's pretty good. 
Um, tackles, Emerson leads the way, 64. Um, Declan Rice is second with 51. And in third, it's Edson Alvarez on 48. We've got to kind of talk about the Declan Rice factor as well, haven't we? Declan Rice returns to West Ham United, the side where he made his name, the side where, um, you know, he was much adored and much loved. We saw him go back in the Carabao Cup game, and I think this one is going to be different because it, obviously it's a Premier League game. There's probably more riding on it, um, certainly from our perspective anyway. And I'm going to be at the London Stadium on Sunday. So I am genuinely intrigued as to what type of reception he's going to get. I think that the mixed reception that he got um, earlier on in the season was probably partly down to West Ham fans maybe being a bit concerned about how they were going to replace him and there still being a bit of raw emotion involved in it. We're a few months down the line now. Edson Alvarez and Suchek are doing a great job in midfield. West Ham are in seventh place and looking good, looking solid. Has that ill feeling that maybe Declan Rice experienced from some sections of the West Ham fan base that day. Has that disappeared a little bit? I hope so. I hope so for his sake. And I'll tell you why. Normally, I don't really care about this type of stuff. Normally, I think if you move clubs, if you move from one London club to another, there's going to be stick that you get. There's going to be criticism that you get. And you got to kind of live with it. And it's part and parcel of, of being a professional footballer. You once captured the hearts of one fan base. Now you're doing it with someone else. And there's obviously going to be some heartbreak uh, and bitterness somewhere along the line. It's just par for the course. My problem with the criticism that Declan Rice seems to get from some West Ham fans is that I just think it's completely unjust. He's taken a step up to a club that are competing for the Premier League title, that are in the Champions League. And throughout the entire process of him leaving West Ham to join Arsenal, he stayed so classy. He didn't say a word. He didn't get involved um, in any of the uh, the speculation, he never refused to train. He never refused to participate in preseason. He was totally 100% professional as far as we can see. Now, we've seen plenty of stories in the past of players who, you know, were throwing their toys out of the pram, making a big stink, making a big fuss in order to get the move that they wanted. And in that instance, I think as a fan base, you've got every right to feel aggrieved particularly when it's someone that you've essentially made and someone that you've turned into a really, really top player. But West Ham were more than fairly compensated for Declan Rice. And the way he stayed classy throughout the process, in my opinion, means he's deserving of a lot more respect and of a far better reception than the one he got in the Carabao Cup game. Now, I know that the vast majority of West Ham fans agree with me, but there was just that small minority in the ground that day. And it was the, the boos were audible. You could hear it. Everybody could hear it. I just hope that he doesn't get that again, because I think as much as he'll be professional and he'll have his game face on, I really do think that this kind of thing will get to Declan Rice because he really did give his heart and soul to West Ham for so many years. Maybe it will fire him up. Who knows? I don't know. But I just I hope that they that that's a bit different this time around to, to what we witnessed um, last time. That was our statistical preview, courtesy of the Premier League's website. Let's uh, continue looking ahead to this one. West Ham versus Arsenal coming up on Sunday. It's the Big Match Preview Podcast. 
Let's have a look then at the starting 11 I have chosen for this game. Let me bring this up on the bigger screen for you guys to see. And I'm sure you're going to have questions about this. And I've got some caveats to put into this as well. I'll start with my caveats. You formulate your questions in the live chat and we'll do all of that uh, in a moment. Um, Raya in goal. Um, I think Raya's getting better and better. Um, I think that he was partly to blame for the goal that we conceded against Liverpool, but not solely to blame. And I think the majority of the blame, as we discussed, um, has has to be put on William Saliba. So David Raya continues in goal for me. Um, I've gone with Kivior at left back because I've not seen anything to suggest over the course of this week that Zinchenko has been training. We know he went off at half time, um, and we know that he, uh, of course, had some kind of problem. And I know that that meant that the change had to be made. And it turned out that Jakob Kivior came on, I thought, and performed really, really well. I will, if he's fit, if he's available, and if he's over the jet lag, I would prefer Tommy Asu at left back. I would. Because I think that he is a far superior fullback than Jakob Kivior. And he's faster across the ground. And the likelihood is that whoever plays in the left-back position for us is going to have to deal with Mohamed Kudus or Jared Bowen running into that channel. So in an ideal world, I picked Takahiro Tomiyasu. And I should have changed that on the graphic. But if, if there is the slightest bit of doubt about Tomiyasu's readiness to participate in this game, having come back from the Asian Cup just, what, days ago, then I won't risk him. And the reason I won't risk um, Takahiro uh, Tomiyasu is because he's got such a patchy record when it comes to injuries. Like We talk about Partey all the time. We talk about Zinchenko all the time. We talk about Jesus all the time. Takahiro Tomiyasu, in terms of his injury history, he fits into that bracket. So you've got to be 100% certain that he's ready. If he's ready, it's a no-brainer. He comes into that side because he's a much better fullback than Jakob Kivior. And I think with West Ham's direct approach, you're going to need a bit of both. You're going to need someone who is A, going to be able to deal with a team trying to drop balls over the top of his head, but also then has that ability to turn around and sprint back towards his own goal. And I just think that Tomiyasu is... Is more comfortable doing that. Having said that, if Kivior does play, if Kivior does start, at least now, I'm not going to be too much. Um, I'm not going to be too concerned with Kivior because I thought when he came on against Liverpool, he was really good, like really good. He did everything right. He didn't put a foot wrong. Got an assist as well. And actually, that assist, combining with Trossard, was the sixth time this season that two Arsenal subs have combined for a goal, which is a Premier League record. There you go. Mikel Arteta breaking records everywhere he goes. In midfield, I'm going to go with Rice, Odegaard and Jorginho again. Um, I know some people are looking at the game and thinking maybe this one isn't best suited for Jorginho, but I actually think the opposite. I think that um, if, if you're going to play someone who isn't a fullback at left-back, then it's even more important that you have Jorginho in the side because what we did against Liverpool really, really well was by having Jorginho playing on that left-sided position and him not being the guy that bombs on, 
it kind of meant that Martinelli could bomb on, but also the left back got a little bit more protection, i.e. Zinchenko didn't have to go inverting and trying to be that guy that progresses the ball from midfield because we had that guy already in there. So I think that Jorginho, Rice and Odegaard work so well against West Ham. And I know this is going to be a different challenge. There are going to be different obstacles that we need to overcome. I just think given what we've got available, this is the best way to go. So my midfield will be Rice, Odegaard and Jorginho. My attack would be Saka, Martinelli and Havertz. And again, not only do I think A, Kai Havertz was brilliant against Liverpool and deserves to start because of all the brilliant things he brought to the team. But I also don't believe that Gabriel Jesus is going to be fit. Now, at the time of recording, again, Mikel Arteta hasn't said anything and, and probably won't say anything. He never bloody does give you anything in terms of team news. But I've got no reason to believe that Gabriel Jesus will be fit and available again. And if he's not, then I prefer Havertz up front instead of Eddie Nketiah, particularly when you're playing against the land of the Giants defence, like I mentioned a little bit earlier on. So my team to face West Ham United at London Stadium on Sunday would be as follows. Raya in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel and Tommy Asu if he's ready, but if he's not, then Kivior. My midfield three would be Rice, Jorginho and Odegaard with Saka, Martinelli and Havertz in attack. If Jesus is fit, I think Jesus is a better option in this game because you're going to need a little bit more guile. You're going to need someone who can dribble and commit people. You're going to need someone who's a little bit trickier up top. But again, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't believe that Gabriel Jesus is going to be ready because this knee problem is ongoing at the moment. That's a big, big concern for us, a really big concern. But again, if there's any doubt, then you have to leave him and you have to let him recover because he's so important to our chances moving forward. You can't risk aggravating the injury. You just can't. Okay, let's um, take some of your thoughts and some of your questions on this. There's inevitably going to be some. Uh, Jid says, why Kai over Eddie? I get that Kai works hard, but he hasn't really shown that he's uh, that he's so much more effective that it justifies freezing Eddie out of the squad. I've said it quite a bit in the past. I just don't see really what Eddie brings to the team off the ball, apart from the ability to close people down, which he does really well, to be fair. He chases. He chases a lot. When defences have the ball, he's often catching goalkeepers and defenders late as well. And we've seen him pick up a few yellow cards as a result of that too. Um, I just, I'm just not convinced by Eddie. I'm just not convinced by him at all. Um, I don't think he gives you any aerial threat. I don't think he gives you um, the the guile and the trickery that you need. I don't think he's going to get the chances that he would thrive um, from getting in a game like this where I expect it to be really compact. I just, I just don't see it working in this particular fixture. I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion going into the game. Havertz is not a good finisher. We've we've established that. We've all seen that with our own eyes. Um, and I wouldn't back him if we had one chance in the game to win it. I wouldn't want it to fall to him. But I just think about the way he kind of played that centre-forward role against Liverpool and played the hybrid of, yep, I'm going to be the one that runs behind when you need me to do that. I'm going to be the one that you can chip the ball up to when you need me to do that. But I'm also going to be one to drop into midfield when you need me to do that, to open corridors and spaces for Martinelli and Saka to run into from the wide areas. 
And I'm also by dropping into those deeper positions and allowing us to go into kind of a, a slightly different shape, going to allow Martin Odegaard to get forward a bit more. When Arsenal are without possession, and you you saw this against Liverpool, and you're probably going to see it again at the weekend, if Mikel goes with this team, because I think this is a way of working that works specifically with this group of players. You see Rice and Jorginho become a flat pair, and then you see Martinelli and Saka drop, and Odegaard goes, and they make it a 4-4-2, and him and Havertz are the ones that lead the press. And I just think, given the options we have available, that's the way to go. I would rather play Trossard up front than Eddie and Ketia in this game, genuinely, because I think Leandro Trossard um, has got that guile and the trickery and the, the footballing IQ that I'm kind of talking about wanting in this game. Hasn't got the physicality that Havertz has got, but he's got more than Eddie's got, in my opinion. But that's what I would go with based on what I believe is going to be the fitness update that we get. If Look, we're not going to get an update at all. Um, from Mikel Arteta. He's going to say, we've got one more training session uh, and we'll see how everybody is. That's what he's going to do because it's what he always does. So the re that's why I go early on these previews. I'm not interested. I'm not going to sit and wait for the whole day to pass so that I can listen to Mikel Arteta tell me nothing about who's available and who's not. So that's why I've gone with what I've gone with. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, James McNeil says, all oh, must win games from now on. Absolutely, mate. Louis says, smash the likes and subscribe. Please do, guys. It really, really does help. If you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you're brand new as well. Um, and if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. There's no reason why we shouldn't get to 100 likes between now and the end of the stream. So please touch that button. Smash the button. Whatever people say these days. Touch the button. Sounds a bit weird. Um, Aaron says, H. Do you think we missed the trick not selling Eddie this window for good money to Palace? He's clearly fourth choice. I don't, mate, because I think we, we're we in a position where we can't afford to, to lose depth. Um, there will be a point probably this season where we need Eddie. Eddie brings fresh legs. Eddie brings running power. Eddie brings that ability to close people down and chase. And I think in, in certain game states, it's useful to be able to bring him on, let him run those channels, let him stretch people, let him um, you know lead your press from the front. I just don't think he's got the quality um, to be the guy that leads the line from the beginning and particularly against an opponent with this set of attributes. I just don't think it works. Um, the fact that we signed him on a long-term contract, which was obviously deliberate to, to maintain his value rather than it being an indication that Arteta thinks he's the man, which is you know what some people would have you believe. I think protects his value. And so I think if you were going to get, I don't know, 35 million in January, but you end up getting 30 million in the summer and you haven't compromised the depth of your squad in a really crucial period, I think that's worthwhile in terms of taking the hit. So I think he will leave in the summer. Um, and I don't think the the difference in price between having the idea of selling him in January and then doing it in the summer is going to be that significant in my view. Um uh, Rob says, if Havertz is through, he'll need backup, as we saw with Saka last weekend. Take Havertz over Eddie, but that's not saying too much. I mean, yeah, I mean, Havertz should have done better there. And I was delighted when I saw Saka pick up that loose ball because I thought, can you imagine the grief that Kai Havertz was going to get if he missed that chance? Nothing came of the rebound and then Liverpool went down the other end and scored. Um, so, yeah, I... Uh, I um yeah I, look I, I've said it I don't think he's a great finisher um, and that's the thing with Havertz because of his movement because of his ability to hold the ball up even for just a, a split second 
you can get your Sackers and your Martinelli's close to him. Because as soon as that ball goes directly to him, which you can do with Havertz, you can't do that with Eddie. You can go direct because of his frame. The minute you chip that ball forward to him, Saka and Martinelli, radar should be on. Get close to him. Make those runs from out to in. Get in and around him because you can play off of him. Things will fall off of him, will drop off of him. That's the type of player he is. That's what he gives you that Eddie doesn't. It's not to say that he's the, the premium solution at number nine. I, I don't think that for a second. I just think that when you look at what we've got available and I'm I'm working on the assumption that Jesus isn't fit, then that's that's what I'd go with. Uh, Rob Bob says, what do you think about the narrative of Partey versus Jesus when it comes to injuries? Everybody's saying sell Partey because he's not available, but Jesus has a bad injury record over the last one and a half seasons. I completely agree with you. Um, the narrative around the two of them seems to feel very, very different. I guess you could say that the Partey thing stretches back further, which is why people maybe have arrived at breaking point when it comes to him, but not quite with Jesus yet. Um, I think they're both wonderful players. They're both fantastic players. And in an ideal world, I'd like to keep both of them. But you have to make that decision at some point because unfortunately, keeping both of them and relying on both of them means that we're going to be, you know, working with with a disadvantage a lot of the time. And I don't want that. And I don't think you can win trophies sustainably um, on that basis. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Wes says, don't you think, um, regardless of who may be available, if the team that started against Liverpool are all fit, they deserve to start again. But of course, injuries may change that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion, though, when it comes to like players, like especially players like Jorginho and Havertz. I think it's, it's a case of horses for courses. I think there are games where they work and they're the right fit. And I think there are games where maybe they're not the right fit, depending on what it is. Um, that you're going to face and, and who it is that you're coming up against. So I think it is a case of horses for courses with Jorginho especially, but with no parte and with Havertz probably needing to be used in the forward position, what's the alternative in midfield? Do you put Emil Smith-Rowe there? I don't think West Ham away is the place to put Emil Smith-Rowe in a three-man midfield. Um, I, I, ju I just don't. I think that against Suchek, Alvarez, Ward-Prowse dropping in there, which is probably what it's going to be. Emil Smith-Rowe isn't the guy. Um, the midfield would lack physicality. Again, you'd be doing that that thing, which we've done a lot this season and got away with at points of going, Declan, you're the midfield, mate. You're the one holding. You're the one who needs to keep them at bay. And then you need to basically create the foundation upon which Odegaard and Emil Smith-Rowe can go and play. I just don't think you can do that at a place like West Ham. If it was at home, then I'd look at it differently. But in this game, I just, I just don't see it like that. Um, Okay, let's see uh, what we've got. I'm going to take a couple more questions and then I'm going to share with you guys my prediction uh, before uh, we wrap the show up. Um, hold on a second. Uh, St. Francis says, uh, Harry, why are you including Gabriel Martinelli when there will be no space in behind for him to be effective? They are bruised from the United game, which means there will be tighter spaces. I just think he deserves to continue in the side. And I'm very much of the opinion at the moment that Leandro Trossard um, is a better option off the bench. And, you know, you can make that change on 60 minutes if it's not going your way. And I'm fine with that. Um, and I agree that when we face low blocks, 
sometimes Trossard is is the one to go with because of a, a, a different skill set that he has. But I just think Martinelli stretches people. I think Martinelli um, gives you natural width. And I think in particular, when you're going to play with a fullback, that's probably a centre-back who isn't going to get forward that much. I think you you need a winger that's going to be holding his position, pinning their fullback back and, and, and willing to take people on on the outside. We mentioned it a little bit earlier on, and I'm not saying he's going to be super adventurous on Sunday, but Vladimir Soufal likes to get forward, doesn't he? Um, he's a big part of of the way that they create chances. Having Martinelli to think about is very different to to having Leandro Trossard to think about, and I think that works to our advantage. Um, MM points out that he has a pretty good record, Martinelli, against West Ham as well. Uh, Darren says, "Why do we always panic before each game? Is every game always a difficult game?" I think, yeah, I think in the Premier League, every game is a difficult game, especially away from home. And you're talking about a side that are sitting in seventh and, you know, having a pretty good season. I don't think that we're panicking. I think we're paying respect to the opposition. And I think that you need to make sure that that kind of, that having the right attitude just never slips away because when it does, you will get punished in this league and, and it's difficult to um, to recover from suffering a few defeats in this division as we found out the hard way. There's lots and lots more questions coming. I'm going to take one more before I share my prediction and then go off into the sunset. Uh, Halo Mate Sunset. It's bloody mid-morning. What am I talking about? Uh, Halo Mateus says, I read that Arsenal had the best XG against Liverpool in recent years, but Arsenal had a ball possession of just 43% in that game. Isn't Arteta's strategy a possession-oriented game? Yeah, it is, generally speaking. And that's why I felt that Mikel Arteta deserved immense credit for what we saw against Liverpool the other day because he recognised the strengths of his side. He recognised that this was a game where you needed to pick, as I keep saying, the right horses for the right course. He did that, made some changes that not everybody expected. Havertz up front, Jorginho in midfield. And he devised a game plan that nullified Liverpool as an attacking threat, but also exposed their defensive weaknesses. And he targeted certain areas on the pitch that Liverpool do have a weakness slash over-reliance on certain individuals in. For example, the right-back position. There's an over-reliance because of Trent Alexander-Arnold's forward-thinking nature on Ibrahima Konate to come across and clean up all the time. Well, if you keep making him come across, that leaves a hole somewhere else, doesn't it? Which is that gap in between him and Virgil van Dijk. If you push Martin Odegaard up as almost like a, cent a second forward at time and turn your midfield into a flat base of Jorginho and Rice, then Van Dijk has to go to Odegaard. But then who's marshalling the space that Konate's left by going out wide? So Mikel Arteta set traps for Liverpool. And he did a really, really good job that day of figuring out where their weaknesses were and making sure that we exposed them. Now, obviously, the players have to go out there and deliver and perform. And that is huge. It's a massive part of it. But I just think um, that, you know, he, he changed it up on that day. But generally speaking... Uh, possession is is the thing that he's he's really big on, and I imagine that we're going to have the majority of possession uh, on Sunday's game. Uh, Tobias must have just joined us. He says, "Would you rather Kivior at left back or Tomiyasu?" Reports have it he's back in training. I would rather, um, I would rather Tomiyasu, but I don't know if he's ready. I don't know how fit he is. I don't know if he's suffering from jet lag. 
And as I said a little bit earlier on, I, I just wouldn't take any risks with Tomiyasu because we've seen him break down before. And we can ill afford for that to happen in the business end of the season. Okay, another really, really short pause. Then I'm going to share with you guys my prediction before we bid you farewell on this episode of the Chronicles of Aguna. My prediction is West Ham nil, Arsenal won. That famous old scoreline of 1-0 to the Arsenal. I think we're going to have a lot of the ball. I think we're going to control the game for large periods. I think we're going to have to be really, really switched on from set pieces. And with West Ham's, what I expect to be, direct approach. But I think our patience will tell in the end. And I think we will find that breakthrough and take all three points from the London Stadium. My God, we need to, don't we? Uh, so that's my prediction um, for this one. Coming up on Sunday. Right. That brings us to the end of the episode. I want to say a big thank you to every single one of you that joined us live. A big thank you to everybody who is watching this or listening to this back a little bit later on. It is really, really appreciated. Don't forget on your way out, leave a like. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. If you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review and get involved in the comments below with your predictions. You can catch me today a little bit later on on TalkSport 2 with Sam Ellard. Uh, we'll be on from three until about six-ish. We'll be previewing all the big games uh, of the weekend and having lots of football debates as we do. Um, I'll be back with another pod tomorrow at some point. I've got a special pod lined up uh, where I'm going to talk a lot about Saka, Martinelli and Martin Odegaard, which I've been putting together over the last few hours or so. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, bringing you guys that tomorrow. And of course, on Sunday evening, we'll bring you reaction to West Ham versus Arsenal. I'll try and get a cheeky instant reaction video in as well uh, from the London Stadium. But a big thank you to every single one of you. And I will see you all soon. Until the next episode, all the best. Goodbye.